Welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the stories they have to share with your hosts and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr. Funkenstein. We got Mark Hebert. I was going to yeah. ask if, if this was, because he's from the north, if it was going to be a Hebert or an Hebert. Uh, I'd go with either, but I kind of split the difference and say Hebert. So. Hebert? Hebert. Like yeah. He-Man, but a bear. Yes, and when I call and people don't know, they say, leave a message as Mark, H-E-B-E-A-R, which is not how you spell my name. <laughs> call. I'll be, I'll be honest. I thought it was Herbert for quite a while, too. I, I just assumed it was Herbert. Um, there's no R before the, the B. There's I no R, yeah. I, I also get the Mark E, like just the letter E, and then the bear at the end. So Mark E bear. <laughs> Yes. Well, if you're from uh, the Houston area or obviously Louisiana area, that that name is a bear. There is yeah. no, really? there is no interpretation. You don't need to say anything. So you come out with a he bear, you're going to get raised eyebrow down here. <laughs> yes. And anytime you're anywhere in any French speaking area, everyone instantly goes to French. And I took it in school, but I do not speak French. We're hosting a uh, uh, crawfish boil in April. Ooh. And our uh, our chef is a bear, so we're convinced it's it's all it's completely authentic. We got an a bear doing the doing the cooking. Please send me the details. April seventeenth, <laughs> the Saturday of Easter, April sixteenth. Okay, all right. Yeah, April seventeenth is my daughter's tenth birthday. Um, Mark, there, I've gotten to know you. I really I like you. I, I feel like we, it's been fun aligning Funk Futures and Dakota Analytics. We're doing some work together. Uh, we'll definitely get into the business stuff, but there's things you've sort of just been tangentially a word that I like to use lately around me for, for a number of different things. And we have sort of these strange connections, um, which, which I definitely want to highlight one. I want to understand about you and growing up and then let's talk Rutgers because my dad went to Rutgers. His two brothers went to Rutgers. They grew up in New Brunswick, New Jersey. My grandfather worked at Rutgers for 39 years. So Rutgers is a place that I'm very familiar with. If I didn't go to Brandeis, I probably would have considered going to Rutgers, but I want to know about you, like where you grew up up to the point. Why did you go to Rutgers? And then let's dig into your career from there. Uh, sure. So I, I start with the Rutgers piece. So I was going to school. I'm from Calgary, Canada. I uh, grew up here. Uh, it's not unusual for people in school in Canada to take a year and either go abroad or go work or do something else. So I said, you know what? I'm going to switch majors because I want to get into like computer science and do comp sci stuff. And I wasn't doing that at the time. So I said, I'm going to go to the East Coast and wanted to be close to New York City because I think it was somewhere different. I'd grown up in Calgary my whole life. So applied to a bunch of schools uh, out on the East Coast. I won't name them all. Uh, one of the ones got into was Rutgers and was like, this is amazing. So I still remember calling the registrar uh, before I went. And my, my dad was on the line with me. He's like, I, I can't understand anything she's saying. <laughs> she <has laughs> a Jersey accent, right? Uh, so great. Went there for a couple of years. And then after Rutgers, uh, got recruited to go work in the Boston area. So that's the nice. connection that Funk and I have to Boston. Stay there for 10 years, basically working for the Gordon's Fishermen. You guys know, you guys wow. know the Gordon's Fishermen. You probably eat fish sticks all the time. A uh, yep. free plug, I guess. Yeah, I've got the I've got the uh, the uh, jingle going in my head. Yeah, trust the Gordons fishermen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, worked there for ten years, and then uh, from there, uh, a couple of my really good friends from Calgary 
we're doing this Dakota analytics thing. So the joke is, uh, do you want to come for high pay and low hours? That's what I heard. And, and we always joke that it's like, no, no, you're dyslexic, Mark. It's actually <laughs> low pay and high hours. <laughs> uh, they were starting to get into the Microsoft analytics data platform space. And we had been doing all that at Gordon. So at that time, it, it uh, kind of made sense to move out to Calgary and brought my wife, who Funk now knows, is from New Hampshire. New Hampshire. Grew up in Exeter. Yeah. Uh, and she moved to Calgary sight unseen. Well, I mean, so, okay. It's more defensible if you grow up in Epping, New Hampshire or Exeter, New Hampshire to move to a place like Calgary because the cold's just, eh, it's just a simple transition, right? It, it's just slightly different. You're used to four seasons. You're used to long and gray winters. How did she deal with that? She, she agreed to move because we said, let's go for a year. <laughs> Oh. <laughs> and that was 11 years ago. Nice. So yeah, it's just sort of evolved. I mean, kind of, I mean, Calgary's a great place to live. It's, it's very similar to Denver, like sister city to Denver, like absolutely just the kind of people, quality, all that stuff is almost exactly the same. Uh, my cousin used to live in Denver up until recently, been there a bunch of times and uh, yeah, it's really, really similar. So at some point we could see ourselves moving back to the States and moving to like live in Denver climate. Everything's kind of the same. Yeah, yeah. When when Jeremy and I worked for Energy Navigator, that was one of the things we always talked about was how Denver, from a lot of a lot of aspects, the downtown culture, the that whole bit is so similar to Calgary, and it's an easy same time zone, easy flight back and forth. So it it made a lot of sense for us to put, you know, some of our folks in in the Denver area just for the for the communications. Yeah, I think I mean I, I love Denver, but yeah, yeah it's, it, I'm a little biased, maybe. It's great here. So did you meet your wife in college and she kind of dragged you up to the Boston area or did you guys meet once you were working for Gordon's? No, I was working for Gordon's. Uh, she's a social worker. Um, so we met my through, wife. Yeah. So we met up, uh, I was living in kind of Northern Massachusetts and she was living in sort of Southern New Hampshire. Uh, so we met up and kind of hit it off. And it, it, so the funny part of the story is, uh, the group had in Calgary had asked me if I wanted to move to Calgary about three months into Audra and I starting the date. My wow. wife's name is Audra. And uh, so I went to Audra, of course, and was like, hey, I mean, we just met like a minute ago. You want to move to Calgary? And she's like, no, you, you can be like a serial killer. I don't know you. So we, we held off for a year. And then a year later, uh, got kind of came up again and said, okay, would you want to move? And uh, Audra's brave or stupid. I can't tell which one. But she's like, okay, let's go. So probably pretty good indication she, she liked me. And then we got married and had a kid shortly after. So, so in your stint in, uh, in Boston area, uh, it looks like, judging by your hat, that you, mm -hmm. you have been indoctrinated. And in fact, maybe the Red Sox are your team. They absolutely are my team. I, of all of the uh, sports teams in Boston, and I say this all the time, like Boston is the greatest sports city in the world. I know that will offend uh, people in other parts of the country, uh, but not me. Not I, me. I, I believe that. And having been a bunch of places, like I cannot believe how rampant the fanship is. And, like listening to uh, the radio uh, oh and, and talk radio on the Red Sox, uh, the joke is always like, if they lose the first opening night or opening day, season's over. <laughs> and if they win, World Series, mark it down, go to Vegas, bet on This is our year. 
Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, big Red Sox fan. Uh, a little lukewarm on the Bruins because I grew up well, in that's, Calgary. That's, I mean, that's fair. So I, I actually that's hockey, curious. right? Yes. Yeah, it's hockey. So I am curious, like who people root for outside. Obviously, everyone has to take a strong stand in Calgary on who they root for. You get a lot of um, Oilers fans, I think probably from their dominance, like with the Wayne Gretzky days and people just can't really let that go. You get Flames fans, you get some random like uh, Maple Leafs fans and things like that. Even some um, uh, Canadians, which is a Habs is a four letter word as, as we know. Um, But, but so like, who do people grow up rooting for? What's on TV for the other sports in, in Calgary? Like, did you get to watch games at Fenway park when you were growing up up there? No. Yeah. No, you get, uh, so I was a big Michigan because we get Michigan Wolverines games. I was a big Michigan fan. You get some of the Northern States and stuff like that, but growing up, you didn't get, they didn't have sports packaging, cable (laughs) TV and all the, like you can get any game you want now. Right. So. Uh, you you get a variety of fans from everywhere. Usually, like the the original six teams, so you know Boston, Chicago, Toronto. You get lots of fans out for those if you go to a, a Calgary. Oh, yeah. Lots of transplant yeah. fans. So, so when when did the Flames show up in in Calgary? Uh, they moved in '79 because they used to be in Atlanta. Right. Yeah, I think they moved. Okay, in so it's, it's been there long enough. So you basically, I guess, from a sports perspective, it's Stampeders and and uh, Flames. Oh my gosh, Stampeders. Yeah, I, I'm not a big CFL fan. I'm more of an NFL guy, but yes, the Stampeders are in Calgary. Yeah. So I'm just I want, showing my knowledge of the. Yeah, yeah. And you've been to Saskatchewan, Tim. Like, this is amazing. We're going to get you citizenship. <laughs> no, Tim was like, when I first went to Calgary, I was with Tim, and Tim showed me around like he really knew the place. It's really something. You had friends out there. Yeah, Tim, Tim yeah. likes it. Tim likes the it, cold deep down. I do. I. I do love uh, getting up there and visiting the cold weather. I don't think I'd like, you know, a whole winter of it, but um, I, I really enjoy Calgary. Just you get into downtown, stay in your hotel, and there's stuff going on all around it. I mean, you, when you're in Houston, you think, oh, you're downtown, stay in a hotel, you know, 530 at night. If there's not a game going on, you're going to there's bed. nothing happening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're, you know. you're going to Three Forks, then you're going to bed or something. Like, yeah. Yeah, the Calgary, Denver, downtown areas for sure are are more lively. Houston's like like L.A. It's like five or six different cities in one that, that are all 10, 15 minutes, 10, 15 miles apart. I, I want to go back to Boston. Literally, I'd like to go back to Boston and, and hang out for a weekend sometime with you, Mark. But that's a different, different conversation. I want to go back to your time in Boston. So our original connection, Tim, interestingly, is a guy named Abe Winograd who I went to Brandeis with, both of us were um, uh, first team, um, all Brandeis um, intramural football players, at least in my all own. All first team, my, yeah. Brandeis intramural football yeah. player. Okay, okay. I, I probably wouldn't have had much of a career anyway, but Abe Winograd, the softest, most gentle computer science, nicest guy. You put him on the intramural football field, you've got a six foot nine 285 pound beast who won't smile or, or pick you up. You know what I mean? So depending on where you get him, it's like, what's wrong with that guy versus like, Oh, he's the nicest guy we've ever met. He's a gentle giant. So Mark and Abe, uh, Winograd worked together at Gordon's. And I think you guys actually became reasonably good friends. I texted Abe the other day. He said that he celebrates Canada day because of you. So you hooked him onto something. We, we did this. So, uh, the old joke at Gordon's is that, uh, Obviously, everyone at Gordon's knew I was Canadian. 
uh, is they would like do celebrations of Canada. And I think Abe really latched onto that, thought it was pretty comical <laughs> to do that. Yeah, we Abe and I worked together for, I don't know, probably a year, year and a half. Uh, Abe was working for a consulting company that came in to help us migrate into onto the Microsoft platform. So we were kind of learning. And uh, it was a good experience because that's what we do, what I do today with a lot right. of uh, energy companies, right, is help them learn that Microsoft platform or just analytics in general and help transition it. So we spent a year together and sort of, you know, kept in touch and stuff. I really like Abe. He's uh, he's doing crazy cool stuff now with the uh, craft analytics and that sports space, which oh, is yeah. so much fun to talk about and and hear about. So I really like it. Yeah, he's he's carved out a really nice career, but it was just super random to see the two of you guys connected. But then the dots that I connected were, yeah, these are both. I mean, he was a computer science guy, BI analytics guys. Yeah. So, so you knew you wanted to get into kind of this BI space. Tim, this is fun because we just had Jose Rodriguez on yeah. yesterday who kind of dove into his frustration being a 23-year-old reservoir engineer when he started and seeing that everybody in his group uses Excel. He's like, no, I just got a master's in data science. Like, I know all the tools that we can use. They're not even that expensive. Like, can we get this and that? And, and how challenging it's kind of been. Um, Talk to me about, I guess, your your history. You grew up in Calgary, so you, I, you know, I'm assuming you had some familiarity with oil and gas. Well, that was, that was my whole thing when I when this started. I was like, well, he's from Calgary, so his path to oil and gas was already rich. Should be direct, right? No, but yeah, he's like, he's been all the over. detour through Gordon's Fishman. That's that's a little bit of a different uh, path into the oil and gas space. So, anyway, if you yeah, tell us about that a little bit, yeah, yeah. My, so my dad, uh, one of his careers in life was being a geologist. Worked for. Dome Petroleum, if you remember Dome, which got which got bought out and <clears throat> worked for a bunch of other places, uh, Amico and other places, uh, was a geologist. I uh, used to take me out when I was a kid, used to take me out to the well site because remember, they used oh, to nice. like, actually log samples and wash them. So I spent a summer washing samples, believe it or not, nice. out there in, in the middle of nowhere, that. right? Uh, anyways, he, he did a bunch of well site geology and did a bunch of that stuff. So I learned a little bit. Uh, I wouldn't say I, I, I got a PhD in in oil and gas from my father, but he was certainly very helpful. And then, yeah, sort of went into school and then coming back from school and, and the whole Boston thing of doing yeah. analytics, you know, like it, it's interesting to me because, you know, you talk about free cash flow versus EBITDA, you know, like free cash flow is kind of an oil and gas term and Big time. EBITDA is more of a, they're the same things. They're still the same profit. You're, you're still trying to accomplish the same thing, which is, you know, talking with Jose and stuff, you're still trying to drive value, right? Like that's the whole, that's the whole game around analytics. And our philosophy at Dakota is kind of that value gets driven from driving like new technology with, with business expertise. And if you do either or, you're not going to get there. Mm. And you see a lot of a lot of conversations like with Jose Rodriguez last week, where it's like, hey, we can use these tools and we can do stuff better. And so he's trying to leverage the technology space because he's got some business expertise. And that's kind of where we live and where we've lived at Dakota for the past 10 years is, is uh, where I've lived at Dakota for the past 10 years is doing those so kinds of things. Is Dakota a provider of software or a consulting group or how, how do you guys, what is yeah, that? We, so we're a services company, Tim. Uh, we just provide analytic services. So expertise. So help you either, uh, we build a lot of solutions. So we'll we have a list of probably 40 different analytics solutions that we build and then deploy. And usually uh, we'll build something at a company and get some expertise and it drives some value. And then we'll take that knowledge and, you know, exploit it, 
go to the next company and say, hey, would you like to do this too? So we've, we've not quite productized it into like a software offering because everyone's just a little bit different for how they operate. But the end result is usually quite similar. So our claim to fame or what we think we do well is taking the same solutions that we have at other places and plugging them into, you know, new or different oil and gas companies to go do stuff. So, and uh, you're, you're, you're scratching pretty close to uh, where I kind of, Absolutely. Came out of school, reservoir engineer, all that great. And then eventually found my way. And I was the first uh, oil and gas guy at Spotfire for, you know, however many years. Um, so the term analytics was not really being used in year 2000. We were trying to kind of corner that phrase business analytics at, you know, when we were at Spotfire, which we is a little bit too soon to get that associated with us. Um, and of course, no one in oil and gas had ever gotten into it. So anyway, we were kind of, we were a little early, took a while to get started, but anyway, so you're real close to one of my, you know, old stomping grounds. And so it's kind of fun to, to get into that. So what, what are your tools of choice? What do you, what kind of, what platforms do you lay on top of for, for your clients? So we're really trying to be tool agnostic because tools, the introduction of tools introduces bias. Um, but we leverage a lot of the Microsoft data platform and I don't want to get in trouble, but I think all the tools in Microsoft are good. None of them are great, yeah. uh, but it's a good place <laughs> to live. And from a cost of ownership standpoint, at least, and this is my opinion, from a cost of ownership standpoint, that Microsoft tool set spans the whole spectrum of everything you're going to do in analytics, right? So you can do everything you can do it reasonably inexpensively. And I think that's important, probably not today in oil and gas, because you're probably not crunching the numbers and managing those costs as tightly as you would be, you know, two years ago. But in a tighter commodity climate where oil prices aren't quite as high, you can kind of drive the value, right? So we look at a project and say, okay, what's it going to cost to implement and what's the anticipated value you're going to get out of it? So if I can get software for all the data tools or whatever I need to do for, you know, $100 versus $100,000, the value proposition is much higher. Yeah. So a little bit easier that way, but pretty tool agnostic, Tim. We, we get into AWS, we get into uh, Tibco a little bit too. We get into some of the other tools to, to do stuff as well. You know, and there's always, the debate will rage on for which one's the best tool and what we should use. Yeah, and you guys kind of pick and choose your spots, probably depending on the client, yeah. the client needs. It was actually one of the, one of my the weirdest things I coming out of school back in the early nineties, one of the first realizations I thought was strange was how loyal, you know, engineers were to a particular product line. I remember my first internship listening to two engineers debate. This will really throw you back. The value of Lotus versus Excel. Lotus one, two, three to Excel. And they uh, Tim, were all. Tim, you were you were older than twenty nine years old. I can. That, tell that, that is right in now. fact true. <laughs> that is in fact true. But you know, it, it's it. It was just amusing to me. Is like, guys, you know, for a twenty two year old in my, I was younger than that. Listening to them argue over the benefits of one versus the other, and how can you use Excel? It's just a copy of Lotus and all of this other, and you know, it's just kind of. It was just an amusing thing, but I it, it's never stopped. You know, you've got the the guys that are Spotfire 
which, you know, partially my fault, there are Spotfire loyalists and others that are Power BI loyalists and, uh, you know, and for for a lot of different reasons. uh, It's just kind of interesting how emotional to a software package someone will, will get. Well, it's a, it's a lot like we have this debate at client sites all the time. It's a lot like the Ford versus Chevy, right? Like, I'm like, in my opinion, like, well, they're both cars and they both run. And if <laughs> you know how to drive well, they work great. Yeah. But we have that debate quite but a Ford's bit. Ford's much on- better. <laughs> <laughs> Is that your opinion, Tim? <laughs> well, I'm, a, I'm a Ford truck guy over know? a Chevy truck guy, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but what we're, you know, we're encountering a lot now. This might be interesting. So the Microsoft data platform in our experience, a little bit cheaper than going to TIPCO, yeah. right? especially when you're buying a But the engineering crews at the oil and gas companies typically lean towards TIPCO, right? And there's reasons, uh, yeah. flatter data, it's easier to manipulate stuff, it's got a client tool. Um, so they wanna keep using that. And, and the CIO, IT manager, director of IT, whoever, leadership in IT is like, how do we get people onto Power BI because the tool's cheaper, like on a per license basis for whatever they've negotiated. It's, it's cheaper. And part of our strategy engagements are around like, okay, what's the cost to convert an engineer, like a good spot fire builder of things into Power BI? Because that's right. part of the cost that you'd have to factor in, right? And, and part of that's like even attrition. Because people, some people will just like, I'm out. That's the line in the sand. Yeah. You make me use that? No, I'm out. Yeah. I buy it though. It, I mean, yeah, the job market in oil and gas is pretty good right now, at least yeah. from what people have told me. So yeah, we've had people that we, we've had some clients that we worked with. Uh, so people that have moved to like four different companies or five different companies and then asked Dakota to come and help build out some of the analytics platform and some of the tools uh, to do stuff. Like, again, you talk about being loyal, like that's really our secret sauce, I guess, is that we've built some really good relationships with some clients and been able to leverage that into, you know, work over time. So hopefully, which, which is, which is fantastic. And bring, brings me back to something I told Mark uh, probably about a month or two ago, (laughs) the time, period was 2013, 2014. And I was at Seven Lakes. And at that point, Seven Lakes did a lot of custom kind of integrated uh, data aggregated HTML5 dashboards, you know, some, some well profitability, but the ability to visualize not just the profitability of a well to look at what did you forecast? What was your downtime? What were the reasons, right? All of your sort of estimates and all of your actuals in one place. And at that time, Seven Lakes was one of the few people who had created a nice Seamless visualization with drill down to invoices in kind of that well profitability world. And I had a meeting with Enterplus and I went into Enterplus and I was all geeked up to show them this thing. And they literally pulled up their Tableau dashboard. That was the same thing. The quadrants are mapped out. They're like, here, take a look at this. And you click here and you get to the invoice image and you guys had built that for them. So I was like, shit, man, I hope these guys don't come down here. You know what I mean? Because if you can start telling these people this can be done within Spotfire or Tableau or tools they already have, they don't need to buy the, the front end from me, right? Which is where like, that's the sexy part where the executives get sold on the thing. So yeah. I was like, man, I hope these guys don't, don't come down here. But you've, you've had success now down here as well. We've had success using the strategy of like, we're not going to build you a dashboard and productize it. We're going to teach you how to build it, lower cost of ownership. 
You can make changes easier. Like it's your, you own all the intellectual property versus like buying a license from someone for something. Cause I very much feel like in the past 10 years, everyone's been moving from a like, print me out the PDF of the report yeah. or whatever I wanted to like, no, I really want to interact with the data. I want to ask the what if questions. I want to be able to build my own reports and drive my own stuff and do that. Right. So for us, a lot of the engagements really more like strategic, like how do we get more business people up to speed to use the tools and answer their questions and help them transition. So they, so they get their data knowledge up. Right. And then hopefully you can get into like building your own stuff and you don't have to buy off the shelf for some of the questions trying to answer it. Buying off the shelf is still great for a whole bunch of things because you can never build it cheaper than you buy it. So I'm not advocating that you build everything, but just so that you can get to that place where you can make that decision, right? As a company, whether you're an energy company or not to say, yeah, we should go build this. And like, I can show Tim how to use Spotfire in an afternoon and he can go do some crazy cool stuff. Tim would probably show you though. I mean, you know, maybe I was well, the, I was in charge of showing people for a long time. We'll, we'll sign up for that, Tim. Send me the, <laughs> where, where do we register? So I, Tim, I know you got to jump in here, but, but Mark, I want to ask you this. So you guys work with something like 75% of the, the top 50 clients in terms of production in Canada. You work with some large operators down here in the States as well. But I think also 30% of your business is outside of oil and gas. Can, can you talk to me a little bit about how this has all played out with you guys having, obviously, a lot of oil and gas knowledge, but then going cross-border and cross-industry as well? Um, what's sort of the makeup of your organization? What does the growth look like moving forward? So the makeup is, uh, we're, we kind of separate the world into like uh, engineering and analysts. So engineering be a little more little more technical in nature, uh, building out ETL, the data movement piece, the infrastructure, the setup, all that kind of stuff. And then a little bit more of the analyst side. We live more in tools like Spotfire, Power BI, Tableau, helping work in the business, having some business knowledge, not, not a lot of like professional, like reservoir engineering knowledge, but like enough to be able to know like what frac spacing is on a completion sort of thing. So that's kind of the makeup sort of half and half. Uh, about 30% of our business is outside oil and gas. And that's through word of mouth or uh, different solutions we built out. We built like, we do a lot of planning solutions. So putting a financial face on like things like free cash flow or EBITDA or that stuff. So we understand that space quite well. So we get pulled into some of those opportunities. Uh, and then just kind of mostly through word of mouth or through, we do an innovation event uh, twice a year and just talk about kind of new stuff that we're doing nice. at different places. Uh, but yeah, about, Two thirds of our business, Jeremy, is, is still in that oil and gas space. And again, like go build something cool at one place and then be able to leverage that knowledge to build something cool somewhere else. Like, you know, oil and gas companies are doing the same thing. They have the same business. So we, with new people, we talk about how we're just, they're just making widgets, make it simple, right? <laughs> I know it's not simple, but uh, for the new people working at Dakota, I understand you're just making widgets and everyone's making the same widgets in kind of the same way. We can argue subsurface how how different it is. That's true, uh, but in terms of like everyone, you look at the MDNA for every energy company, and they're going to be pretty similar. Yeah, yeah. They may not believe they're doing it the same as everyone else, though. Right. So sometimes it's like, no, we've got this KPI that we monitor. It's a such and such whatever, and then you you 
you kind of have to, I've had to do this a few times. Nah, it's not, you're not the only ones looking at that. They Nobody just likes to something. hear that. Nobody likes you know? hearing that. Yeah. You're just, you're doing it very soon. I remember going to uh, a large oil and gas company who I won't name. Um, and they were doing a, a very interesting, very technical engineering application. They developed it in MATLAB and, you know, and they're, they're wanting us to come in and do some things with it to implement their, their uh, calculation. And it was, it was interesting, but they wanted to protect the IP and they had to write down all these things. We had to sign contracts that we wouldn't share the calculation with people and all that. And the whole time I'm trying to tell the research guys, you know, that I saw this ex exact layout, you know, over in Europe with a couple of big oil and gas companies are doing pretty much the exact same thing you are. And, you know, they just, you know, again, like you said, Jeremy, they didn't like hearing that, but like, yeah, <laughs> you're, you're not that you're not as unique as you think you are happy to sign this. We won't share it with anybody, but I've already seen it once. Yeah. We, yeah. I probably hear two or three times a year. Someone's like, Hey, come here. I want to show you something really cool. We're doing <laughs> I'm like, oh, like I'm always perked up. I'm like, oh, because sometimes it is something really cool. Like I've seen yeah. some, some, some of our clients have done some really cool stuff. Okay. And you get in there and they're like, look at this, man. I'm doing, I'm predicting my declines on this well. <laughs> and I'm like, uh-huh. <laughs> like, you think other clients would want to use this? And I'm like, ah, I think of, you know, there's probably a few that are already using it. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's already, or, you know, yeah, but it's always like everyone's sort of again, certainly people newer in their careers, you're you don't have yeah. that uh, that experience yet where you've seen those things happening. So, pretty excited about being able to do just things like declines or simple stuff that you know, kind of we, we would joke about now and be like, Yeah, I think everyone's doing that. <laughs> you're definitely not alone. Talk to me a little bit about um, the the buyer and the differences in terms of what they want from an analytics perspective in a down market versus an up market? Is it generally the same thing that you're seeing right now? Or is it there's more scrutiny on things yeah. like LOE and cost and AFE in a down market? And now people are more interested in things like production. Like what do you, what do you generally see uh, in the sort of ups versus downs in the analytics world? Yeah, good, good question. Uh, so in a down market, you would see more requests for things like, uh, like shrink and yields. So like, what's my yield? What's my butane pentane yields? And am I getting paid from yeah. the facility? The amounts I think I should doing all those kind of analytics, mm -hmm. right? We've, we've had clients that have, that have gotten a bunch of analytics tools around like just yields and, you know, compressor yields and all that stuff that have saved half a million dollars. Just like, Hey, I think we haven't been getting paid on this well for the past. 15 months like vendor right? spend analysis things like that well not vendor spend exactly yeah. more like facility throughput but yeah okay. and then we, we'd also get into things like vendor spends and like why is you know why is well a paying two dollars a liter for methanol and you know well b is paying 260 a liter like sure you can get into the weeds on that stuff and i think that in downtimes there's a little more scrutiny around just cost and cost structure and driving that out but i think in my opinion, we've seen a lot of that get eliminated. Like I think companies are probably running 10, 20, 30% leaner uh, than they were before. In good times, good you're going to see a lot more people wanting to do more forward-looking stuff. 
So we build a lot of planning solutions, which integrates all of your like economics from Balnab and those kinds of systems. But then we layer on top things like, you know, your hedges, marketing contracts, your mm. take or pays throughputs to really get you to that cash flow number nice. and be able to plug in like an acquisition. Again, every acquisition seems to be a bit different in terms of how it gets structured. So the flexibility to layer that into the planning analysis that you're doing and be able to roll and iterate through that like five, 10, 20 times a day, like put in 10 yeah. price decks and see how that impacts your interest rate over time, right? Because you're going to go into different bands of interest rates, the more money you borrow and all that stuff. So getting to that place, which again, everyone does it. Lots of places do it manually. We've, we've automated a bunch of those processes for people. And if you're like a planning analyst in this world right now, phone can, your CEO or CFO is coming to you and saying, Hey man, I want, we might do these four acquisitions. Yeah. Cause usually it's a really unreasonable request in like yeah. no time. Right. <laughs> That's been our experience. We're going into the data room tomorrow. I need this information now. Yeah. Yeah. We might, we might go spend $3 billion tomorrow. What do you think? <laughs> right. Can you plug it in? And, and by the way, if you're wrong, like you're fired, like we don't, you gotta be right. And you're like, Oh my gosh. So just helping people get through that to be able to, to do that forecasting stuff, that's more stuff you would see when times are good. Yeah. And then you'd see more innovation when times are good. So you see people be, or clients be more willing to invest in, let's see if this works. Because a lot of data yeah. discovery, Tim, you know this too, a lot of data discovery is like, I can't quantify my ROI tomorrow for you. Like we think we're going to do better and save better and be better, but I can't guarantee it. And, you know, as we move towards uh, more implementations of machine learning and AI, you know, I've seen a lot of, I don't want to make this sound bad, but a lot of science fair projects where <laughs> they're spending money on AI and machine learning because they think there's going to be value at the end. And sometimes they have a very clear definition. Of, uh, well, I've got my opinion on how to design one of these projects so that it does bring value and ha having seen a bunch that have failed, um, you know, the ones that do approach it as a science fair project, we know we want to get into machine learning because we know there's value there. We just don't know what it's going to be yet. Um, it, we see a little bit more of that in the, in some of the better times, uh, if they're not in the middle of an acquisition or absorbing another company or something like that, you'll see these, the, you know, a few more of these types of, uh, well, I call them science fair projects, but these kinds of projects, I don't know if you've got any opinions on that, but it is interesting to see how when they're willing to take on some new knowledge without necessarily knowing exactly what the payoff's going to be and when they're not. And surprisingly, during the downturn from 15 to 19 or you know whatever, there was a little bit more of that playing going on. Mm -hmm. You know, what can we do with these new tools maybe to uh, make up for uh, what we're not getting. Yeah. I think when you can get the right group of people, this becomes a people thing, right? To be able to go do these AI ML kind of projects. And you've got some really strong data people that also have a really good engineering background and companies like Dakota support them with like, here's the data or here's easy access to the data. So you don't have to like pull it in and manipulate it to do it all. What I see the biggest hiccup or kind of things people overlook is just data quality. So Everyone's going to data conferences. Everyone's saying AI is a buzzword. We should do AI. Uh, above the surface, I haven't seen a ton of AI in the oil and gas space just because data doesn't 
anyway, long story. Well, but that's what Jose machine- said that yesterday, Tim. If you recall, he said data yeah. science. He doesn't believe that data science is actually a big thing in oil and gas, but that's a completely separate conversation, which we never actually got back to. But it's it's sort of you sort of just said that. So I, I don't want to let this go completely away. How so, Mark? How like like let's dive into this a little bit. Yeah, when you're getting into those spaces, uh, so again, I'm going to say above the surface because below the surface yeah. of the ground for oil and gas, it's quite prominent. Okay, yeah. but above the surface, you see uh, a lot of you don't have enough data, so you don't have enough data points statistically to make it mm. meaningful. And then the outcome, like machine learning, is math, right? So it's it's basically spitting out probabilities of stuff. So if I was to say you're five percent more likely to do something different if we go spend this million dollars on this project, would you do it, right? Like everything comes back to value and the value proposition of what you're trying to do. And you're going to spend a lot of money and do a lot of data cleansing to get to maybe a 5% change in how you run your business. And that's a tough sell, even at $100 WZI. That's a tough sell. We get asked twice a year, can you guys go do this project? And we're like, we want to understand the value, right? Because like, if Dakota Analytics screws this up, it's a small world, right? Like, Funk's right. going to tell everyone we messed yeah. this up. Oh, I love doing that. I love. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's actually going back to being from Calgary. Calgary is a very word of mouth town, you know. So you do you do somebody right, and especially in the oil and gas space your name will spread out in a good way. But I guess, you know, obviously there's a downside to that. Yeah. And you just don't, you don't see a lot of places that have a lot of experience in doing a bunch of machine learning stuff. There's some pockets. And again, reach out after I can share with you guys who those pockets are of people doing some really cool stuff, but you've got to marry together this like pretty strong data science background with a pretty strong technical background, sort of business technical background. Sure to be able to produce something meaningful. So it's, it's just, it's a great place to play, Tim, like you said, but sometimes you're, it's a little bit more of a like proof of concept or a kind of innovation kind of thing. So I want to, I'm going to take this down a lighter side. So this is going to be a big pivot here, but uh, you've been in a lot of client meetings. Sounds like, uh, you know, certainly a lot of client offices. Um, and we were talking beforehand when we were getting, our tool set up, making sure everything was working. You know, there's always that moment when is the projector synced with my laptop and how do I cast oh to your TV and you know, all that stuff going on. There's always these little things that happen when you get into those boardrooms. So does, are there, you're slightly different being a services company, but have you ever had just a complete total failure? in the in the boardroom of getting you know hey we're gonna have to come back in an hour while i get this figured out type of thing has your question how many times let's let's just go with maybe the funniest and most entertaining for our listeners uh yeah sure so uh we were doing a we were doing demo i won't say the name of the company for for a company it took us about six months to get the demo lined up uh you know like merging all the calendars finally get everybody in the room go to hit like the power button on our on our demo environment and like it, it's not working oh, like, no. it won't turn on it was all it was all like on premise servers we had they had turned off like the power in the server room this is a while ago they turned off the power in the server room so we just couldn't even connect 
So we still had like the uh, printouts, right, of some of the presentation material. So at that moment, I mean, your stress could not be higher, right? Because you're like, I will show you nothing interactive. I'm going to pull up a piece of paper. Oh, Oh, yes, we're a technology company. I'm going to send you a piece of paper, like a, you know, (laughs) binded together (laughs) and try to walk through it. And you could just see every like C-suite executive in the room, just their heart just sunk, right? Because they're like, now I don't want to be here. Yep. Yep. But, and you know, in Canada, we're really polite. So like people don't just get up and leave from meetings. Sure. So like, they're like, now I got to spend 30 minutes to listen to these guys, show me some pictures on a piece of paper. And then at the end, they're going to be like, Hey, do you want to do a project? And you know, I have to say no. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, it happens. It happens. You know, every demo seems like something goes wrong and you roll with it and, most people are pretty forgiving because if you've ever worked in the space, which you guys both have, like yeah. we all have those war stories. Yeah, those moments. Well, of course, you know, now I've already dated myself. Back in the mid 90s, when I was with Schlumberger, and we had geophysics software, which was on a Sun Spark station. And I had, you know, our production engineering software, which was on laptops and all that. And getting those things hooked together was a major feat. We used to come in with dollies of, monitors and uh, sun spark stations and crosslink cables. You can't just get an ethernet cable when you want to hook mm-hmm. up a sun box with a laptop. You actually have to revert. One of them has to be reversed and you have to know which one goes in which box. It was absolutely crazy. But to go in there, there were so many moving parts. One of them was always not going to work. Disc won't mount or whatever else. So it was so many of those times. And of course, I think everyone's a little understanding when you're bringing all this equipment. Nowadays, you, we used to have to carry our own projectors because nobody had a projector. Oh, in yeah. The room. I remember that. Yeah, we, we used to have a laptop, like an enormous laptop. Uh, like it probably weighed 18, 20 pounds. Like, <laughs> and we used to just run the demo off of that because of these things that would kick out. And it was like so funny because sometimes you have to like walk like four or five blocks. Right, and you get in the meeting room, and you're like holding your shoulder. <laughs> you're like, I just lugged this weight all the way across the parking lot. Well, in the early days of Spotfire, when they came out with their uh, server side uh, technology, we used to have to carry a swappable hard drive for our laptops. Wow. So you, you had your this is what I'm using for business, but then I would for demos, I'd have to swap it out to be able to do a demo and show the connections with the with that. And of course, in that. That's just always a risk. Anytime you're pulling these discs out and popping another one in, you never know if, if it's ever going to work. Yeah. Right. So it, it, real quick, couple couple more questions, Mark, before we before we let you get back to whatever it is you do in Calgary before the weekend. Um, from a uh, Bitcoin mining perspective, that this is something that's gaining a lot of momentum down here. I think this podcast will be released when we'll be at the Empower um, digital wildcatters, Bitcoin plus energy conference. There's there's a lot of buzz down here now. I mean, in Colorado, you know, certainly in Texas and Oklahoma, you're hearing about people getting these, you know, these ASIC, uh, you know, boxes and miners, and and it's happening here. Is the, is it also happening in Canada? Is there's the same type of buzz up there around um, taking your stranded gas and producing um, Bitcoin with it? Yeah. Yeah, if if you have stranded gas, people are looking at doing that. I think, I think it's a little bit. Uh, I think you're seeing less of it lately, or at least conversationally, I've heard less of it as gas prices have gone up. Yeah. Uh, but it, you know, we have a pretty 
captive market here for gas. We don't we don't send a ton of gas overseas. So uh, when the price goes up to you know three, four, five bucks, you don't hear much about it. Price goes down to you know two dollars, say, or Nymex is down to two dollars. Then I think you see a lot more of it. Because you're like, what are we going to do with this gas? Let's go mine some stuff, right? The margins are not amazing from what people have told me, but it's a way of doing something with that gas. So you're still like leveraging it to do stuff. So yeah, you're seeing some of the some of the players in Canada do the same thing as as in the states. You got, you know, well, you, you know, don't want to just flare all the gas off. So what do you do? Yeah, we had we had Laura Palmer on the uh, the show a few weeks ago, and she was actually talking about you know you. You bring in the economics of Bitcoin and actually start weighing, selling the gas, even if you have gas takeaway, selling the gas versus mining for Bitcoin. And sometimes it's still worth it to mine the Bitcoin over actually selling the gas. It obviously depends on the price of gas you're getting, but you also have to look at the price of the, the Bitcoin as well. Yeah, but I think at most of the, at least a bunch of our bigger clients, they've, they've got an actual group of people or a team. That's now pretty dedicated to like, okay, how do we make this, how do we make oh, this mining thing go? I you know, what's, what's economic. And again, this is part of that innovation that now that oil is at a hundred bucks, you'll see a lot of people or gas that for, you'll see a lot of people spending some money to figure out, you know, how do we create, get a different stream of revenue really, right? Because yeah. energy is energy. You see, I think you're going to see over the next five or 10 years, a lot of energy diversification. Oh, yeah. So I think you're going to see, you know, the introduction of ESG and public companies and the the rigor or the demand from a lot of investors to diversify and be responsible around your energy production and stuff. You're going to see a lot of people diversify that energy into a whole bunch of different streams. I think you're also going to see a ton of innovation. Yeah. Uh, my cousin's wife works for one of the big uh, one of the big EMP companies in uh, in the world, and she works for basically doing innovation figure out like how we're going to transition and do all that stuff. So it's the right group of people yep. because they understand how energy works, where it comes from, <laughs> like, you know, there's no magic to this. So yeah. it's going to be difficult to convert to solar and wind in the next two years. Like it's, you know, most Locking of us up. would say that's impossible. Yeah. And just like energy safety, right? Like, you know, crazy stuff happening in Texas over the winter and stuff. Like how do you, make sure that those kinds of things don't happen in the future and there'll be profit there. So energy companies will invest in it. it are seems you getting like, sorry, are you getting some of those requests for more like ESG centric um, emissive related dashboards and, and BI projects um, yeah. uh, coming up now? Oh yeah. We're, we're doing a project at a client right now where we're doing like emissions forecasting. Mm, so, cool. you know, you, you've got kind of your, you know, I'm only going to emit so much methane into the world. And so you kind of keep track of that and you really forecast it out. Uh, there's some rules going into place in Saskatchewan. Uh, oh, oh no. Saskatchewan. Where, where they're changing some of the rules around, you know, what you can emit and how you emit it and all that stuff. And that, that will impact whether you can produce the well. So that's how real it's becoming, right? And I think energy companies are really good at being really reactive and, and to new things and being able to innovate and come up with a solution really quickly. I think that's one of the really big differences that I see. And why I like the energy industry a lot, it's kind of that grow or die, right? So everyone's like, let's go do some cool stuff or we won't be around in 10 years. So I really like that, that part of that industry and that, that innovation piece. Cause that's where we like to live, right? It's like, what's new and cool and fun and interesting to go do from a, from a data perspective. Love it. 
Mark, where can people find you, find Dakota Analytics, um, all that good stuff? Uh, DakotaAnalytics.com. We're on LinkedIn. Uh, They can reach out to Funk Futures because Jeremy will always respond to you. I will always. uh, Yeah, within five minutes. Yeah. If you're you're looking for Mark on uh, LinkedIn, it's Mark with a C. Mark with a C, a bear with a bear. (laughs) True. (laughs) True. I will never do that now. <laughs> Appreciate it. Yeah, that's Mark. where you Thanks, can find man. us. Uh, we got a website. You can reach out to us anyway. So, yeah, it'd be great to chat with people. We do lots of lots of just strategy engagements around how do I change my data culture and what are you seeing at other clients just to get perspective. And lots of the bigger places, we just we have a footprint because they're like, we just want to leverage you guys' expertise, right, once in a while for some stuff. So You, you just can't replicate having been in. 40 or 50 different companies and helping them with their reporting and BI. Cause you start to just see the same things over and over and over and over again, right? Thousands of projects and you guys have done it, man. You know what you're doing. Yeah. We have. Thanks Mark. Well, thanks a lot, Mark. Okay. Appreciate the time guys. Right, Great talking to you.